Hi, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good. I'm hearing myself back, though, quite a lot. There, now it's gone, I think. This land is your land. This is It's a Free Country, the podcast. I'm Brian Lehrer with Takeaways Washington correspondent Todd Zwillick in Washington, and It's a Free Country political reporter Anna Sale here in New York. And today we end the current season of It's a Free Country, the podcast. After covering uh, the first sprint of the election year from the Iowa caucuses to Super Tuesday, we will be back with a new incarnation later in the year. Hi, Anna. Hi, Hi. Todd. Hi. Feels like we're going into reruns, you know, like my favorite sitcom. (laughs) Oh, can we rerun the Michigan primary podcast again? Maybe (laughs) in mid-May? someone out there who'd like to rerun a couple races, but uh, we won't mention any names. (laughs) So to take a step back, from the results and the horse race, Todd. Former First Lady Barbara Bush said the other day that this is the worst presidential primary season she has ever seen, and she has seen a few. You think that's a common sentiment among Republicans you talk to in Washington? I think it's a common sentiment among establishment Republicans, and Barbara Bush sort of exemplifies what an establishment Republican is. She's from another time that doesn't exist right now in Washington or in Republican politics of, um, of, uh, you know, center-right Republicanism. Um, that deals with Democrats when you know when they can. That, that tries to get results when they can. Um, that that that'll come back at some at some point. It's probably not dead, but that's not where politics is right now in this country. And I think um, you know Barbara Bush has seen a lot of races, but let's be honest. This this is not the Republican Party mm-hmm. of 1990 when she was first lady, when her husband was president, um, when Bill Clinton followed him into the presidency. This is is not that time. Um, She would think that it's the worst primary she's ever seen because this is a just a fractured Republican Party. I've said it before. It's not about Mitt Romney to me. This is about a Republican party that is riven with divisions. And if you need another example, I'll, I'll give you one quick example of what Barbara Bush is talking about from here inside the Beltway. Forget about the elections for a moment. There is a major highway bill, transportation bill, on both the House and Senate floor right now. This is this is a jobs bill. This is one of the few actual jobs bills that Congress ever passes. They, don't, they call everything a jobs bill. This really is. In the past, no matter who's in control of Congress, these highway bills have always been bipartisan, guys, because there are bridges and and roads and interchanges right. in every single district of the country. Yes there, are divi- yes, there are differences, but they always work them out, and they have always passed bipartisan highway bills. Um, they're not getting it done right at the moment, and the reason why is because John Boehner cannot get his conservative Republicans on board with uh, a bill that builds highways and roads and bridges. And they're entitled to their positions, and they have them, and that's great, but that is a, an example to me, an epitome of this Republican Party that is so riven with division and on the direction of the party, the conservative philosophy versus the center-right deal-making philosophy. Um, It's a microcosm of exactly what Barbara Bush is talking about. And the small government, the very small government wing of the party, being so small government that even highway bills, previously uncontroversial, now suddenly are. So, Anna, the New York Times editorial page, which is hardly Mm -hmm. Republican um, and hardly contemporary Republican in the you know, as as Barbara Bush is not contemporary Republican. But this week they call this the most divisive and vapid campaign in recent memory. And you've been on the road some of the time to four different caucus and primary states, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, are the voters 
who are actually voting in the Republican primaries and caucuses just going about their business and saying, well, I like Romney better or I like Santorum better or I like Ron Paul? Or is there also this sense that, oh, my goodness, my party is out of control. My party is negative. My party is extreme in some cases. My party is riven, to use Todd's word, vapid, to use the Times word, whatever word they would use. Well, I think it's interesting, vapid and divisive, because vapid means sort of no content whatsoever. Divisive means there's something you're fighting over. And I think that's certainly what we've seen in this primary campaign so far. I think when you talk to voters, when you ask the question, what are you most concerned about, what's what's behind your vote, everyone would say the economy, whether I was in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, or Florida. But I think what we've seen over the last couple of months is that people are understanding that in a very different way. Do you have this sense of just outrage towards the elites that just destroyed the economy? Maybe that's part of Santorum's base. Do you have this feeling like Obama, President Obama, is in over his head and we need a business leader to go in and clean everything up? And maybe you're a Romney person. Or, or are you an independent or a Democratic voter who is looking at, you know, again and again, I'd heard from those folks, you know, President Obama's doing the best he can. He did what he could. And, of course, the president's talking about his auto bailout a lot, but not about his stimulus bill, not about that huge bill that was passed to bring the economy back. So, you know, I think I think that what we're seeing is just on the Republican side in particular, divisive, absolutely vapid. I'm not so sure. I mean, we're not talking a lot about, you know, tax policy among, you know, how the different plans differ among the Republican mm-hmm. candidates because they are pretty similar. But but, you know, these social issues, the question of abortion, the they're question of something, they're about something, not nothing. Uh, well, we did most of this season, as our regular listeners know, of the podcast around the most revealing campaign sound bites of the week. So to wrap up the season, we have each brought one clip that we think represents something important from the last few months. So let's see. Is it Todd who's going first on this? Sure, I'll go first. Um, my, there, there was a clip from just a couple of days ago from this very week that for me wraps up so much of the campaign season, but, but really the campaign going forward. I was in the uh, Brady briefing room in the West Wing of the White House earlier this week uh, because President Obama called a news conference right smack in the middle of Super Tuesday. <laughs> Not a White House that wanted to sit back and let Republicans have their day of uh, Super Tuesday vote counting and be featured, but make sure you get the president in those evening newscasts, get the president's face in contrast with discussions about Mitt Romney, Newt Gingrich, Rick Santorum, uh, and Ron Paul, of course, on all of those newscasts. It's a White House that's feeling pretty good about the image of the president right now, and they clearly wanted to get him out there. Well, there was a, a we, we've all been covering and talking about um, the controversy over contraception and insurance plans in the Catholic Church and all of this stuff. And one of the reporters in the briefing room um, stood up and asked the president, uh, Mr. President, is, is, is there really a war on women in the Republican Party. Is that a thing? Is that real? And here's what he said. Women are going to make up their own mind in this election about who is advancing uh, the issues that they care most deeply about. One of the things I've learned being married to Michelle is I don't need to tell her what it is that she thinks is important. Uh, And there are millions of strong women around the country Uh, who are going to make their own determination about a whole range of issues. It's not going to be narrowly focused just on contraception. Uh, It's not going to be driven by one statement by 
one radio announcer. That radio announcer being one Rush Limbaugh? Not, not, it is not Brian Lehrer of WNYC, <laughs> I'll say that. Uh, it, is what, it is one Rush Limbaugh. And that, that answer from the president, women will, women will determine for themselves who has their best interests for this election. Look, w- women are more than half of the electorate, uh, regardless of how they vote. Democrats feel as though they have absolutely owned the right uh, on the issue of, uh, of contraception, whether it's a war on women or religious freedom or, or women's health or something, some hybrid of all three. Rush Limbaugh, I think we can all stipulate, has absolutely helped the Democratic cause on this, and the president, being presidential and aloof on issues like this, um, managed to field that question in a way that Democrats feel is going to help them throughout the spring and the summer. Um, Women, how do you feel about which party has your interests at heart? Not only on contraception and women's health or religious freedom, uh, but the economy and your kitchen table and your family mm-hmm. and getting your kids into college. Um, I, I think it's, uh, we usually call it revealing, but I think it sets the tone for the next few months of this campaign. And did you notice that President Obama has signed on to give the commencement address this spring at <laughs> Barnard College? <laughs> I, I that. love that. Women's College in New York. So uh, certainly that was uh, for a reason. Well, the clip that I brought for this wrap-up session for now is one of many that we could have chosen in this vein for Mitt Romney. So this is a sort of, you know, greatest unhit. Uh, and the one I picked became emblematic early of both the problem that he has um, connecting with people in general and the way others will distort what he is actually trying to say. And it was simply this. I want individuals to have their own insurance. That means the insurance company will have an incentive to keep you healthy. It also means that if you don't like what they do, you can fire them. I like being able to fire people who provide services to me. If, 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 I, you know, if someone doesn't give me the good service I need, I want to, I want to say you know, that, that I'm going to go get someone else to provide that service to me. So he was talking about not having monopolies, having choices and things like hiring a health insurance company. And... Um, of course, it got played and played and played in you know this era of high unemployment mm-hmm. and distorted, really, in the way it was excerpted as, I like being able to fire people who provide services for me. And there were mashups that just repeated it over and over again. I like being able to fire people who provide services for me. I like being able to provide people, fire people who provide services for me, et cetera. Um, and yet there's something with all the other comments that he's made that seem to put him out of touch with regular working people, Anna, that... That, I think, came at a moment where Newt Gingrich was revving up his attack machine um, and people were really starting to question who Mitt Romney is and how well they knew him and what he stood for and who he stood for. Uh, That thing, I think, really took hold and he's been running away from it ever since. Yeah, And I think what's interesting about that one is is legitimately he was taken out of con. He wasn't saying, I just like to fire people. He was talking about not liking insurance companies who don't provide him the service he likes. We can all agree with that. But it set the stage for them when he did say things that just were totally tone deaf, taken in context or out about his wife having a couple of Cadillacs or being friends with NASCAR owners. You know, it's just set up this this theme that we're, we've gone back to again and again. Even, I think it was this week, Ann Romney, Mitt Romney's wife, was talking, and, and she was making a point on cable television. She said, I don't think of myself as wealthy. And that's the quote that got sort of pulled out 
But what she was saying, she went on to say, it, it can be here today and gone tomorrow. I don't think of myself as wealthy. So she was actually saying, I don't think of myself as this absolutely, you know, yeah, superior person in American society. We didn't hear the rest of that clip because it fit in with that theme that, that the Romneys have already established through their missteps. One, one bad bet trying to single-handedly bail out Greek debt, and they could be wiped out tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Your your final clip of the season, Anna? Well, my final clip of the season gets gets at that. You know, now we have talked a lot about Mitt Romney's inability to connect with, uh, you know, we've we've used a lot of different words, whether it's blue-collar workers, there's been talk about Southern voters, there's been talk about white working class. Uh, Mitt Romney has absolutely had an income gap in who his supporters are. He has consistently won voters uh, who earn more than $100,000, even in states where he lost the primary by large margins. Uh, and I think that's kind of looking ahead to the next several months. So these are also voters that President Barack Obama did not do so well with in 2008. There was an 18-point margin among white voters without a college degree in 2008 between Obama and John McCain. So I think that who is going to be able to make the case to these voters who are going to go to the polls and who are going to vote for somebody, if Mitt Romney doesn't successfully connect with them, if President Obama doesn't connect with them in a way that he wasn't able to in 2008, they're going to be sort of left adrift. And, and that is something I heard from a voter in South Carolina, a guy named Thomas Coleman, a registered Democrat who supported John McCain in 2008. I talked to him at a farmer's market where he had a stand where he was telling me just sales had just dropped off dramatically in the economic downturn and just haven't recovered and uh, this is what he said when I asked him about the current state of the debate. I know I'm worried. Uh, I won't speak for everybody, but everybody I've talked to has got a problem with it. And maybe we can have it picked up. Maybe we can get a good... You know, it takes more than the White House to do it, though. Uh, it goes back into Congress and everywhere else. Uh, politics has not been for the working man for years, in my opinion. So this is a guy that just doesn't see a champion among the field of candidates in 2012. I think that's going to be a big question as we head into the general election. You know, I heard somebody say, I can't remember who or exactly where recently, that a lot of people who vote for Mitt Romney, it's going to be like going to the doctor. Um, you may not like your doctor's bedside manner, but if you think he or she is the best surgeon around and you need surgery, you're going to hire that surgeon. And if people think that Romney has the skills because of his background in business to fix the economy, then they're going to hire Mitt Romney in the same vein in which they would go to the doctor. But how many people are like that are there going to be? That's the question. And I think one more thing about Mitt Romney that we haven't talked enough about his how his Mormonism is going to play perhaps in the general election. It's been clear that evangelical voters have some questions about Mitt Romney's religion, where his sort of source of what drives him, what his values are. I heard that in South Carolina in particular, and he's you know not fared so well with evangelical voters in primary after primary. But I think you also hear, I was watching The Daily Show this week, Jon Stewart making Mormon jokes about baptizing people after, after death, the Mormons doing that. And so I think, you know, even among independent or secular Republicans or secular independents, they may have some questions about how much they trust Mitt Romney. And so that doctor, you know, maybe you trust him to be able to, to, to you know, come in and save the economy, but do you really trust where he's coming from and what's motivating him? I think we're going to have to hear more about, you know, his faith to know that. I might get a couple more data points uh, even this week to see if Mitt Romney can get through this nominating process without being 
the first Republican nominee in memory, if not ever, to uh, to get the nomination without winning a, a, a primary in the South, in the Deep South. Um, uh, what is it, Alabama and Mississippi coming up, you guys, and Romney has not yet won uh, in any state that qualifies as the Deep South. And then the Anna just playing off of what you said about his Mormonism and how this will play in the general election with all of the issues swirling around us, many of which are substantive, uh, highly substantive, debt and deficit, the future of the country, economic recovery. Uh, how much of this general election really will hinge on those sometimes unspoken emotional comfort issues of religion? Mitt, Rom- Mitt Romney's Mormonism an issue? It probably will be. Um, we, we have to reprise briefly. Barack Obama's religion and whispers about his true religion have dogged him for his entire national political career since he started running for president. Um, and, and, I'm, and that stuff is still on the Internet. It's still whispered among conservatives. We all know it is because we hear it when we do our coverage. Um, and both of those things will be there despite all of the substance in this campaign. How much of a factor will religion um, or identity maybe or Americanness, American identity, be for both of these gentlemen in the general election uh, is? is going to be fascinating, I think. There was a Pew poll this week that Mm -hmm. found a dramatic rise through this primary season so far in the percentage of Democrats who say they are now enthusiastic about voting for President Obama for re-election, up from 36 percent of Democrats uh, to 49 percent. And that might be happening no matter who the Republican candidates were or because of things President Obama himself is doing. But still, it has happened during this crazy time for the Republicans that a blasé Democratic base is beginning to get more energized. I think that's interesting. And I actually went in to see, well, what are independents saying about President Obama? Or is the Republican primary sort of getting them to feel more, you know, look a little bit, you know, more admirably at what President Obama has done? There was a a Gallup poll in February, and 53 percent of independent voters say they deem President Obama's presidency a failure compared to 42% who say it's a success. That was the choice's failure or success. And the independents, that's close to the national average. 50% say Obama's president a failure. Maybe we're in the midst of a, of a divisive campaign if 50% say it's a failure compared to 50% who say it's a success. But independents have not sort of come around and said, okay, President Obama, I'm, I'm looking at the Republican field and I'm so turned off, according to that particular poll. So the Democrats might be getting more enthused, but independents haven't been won over yet. As this campaign drags on, and the debate between Santorum and Gingrich in particular, and Mitt Romney drags on, the, the, the flip side of exactly what you're saying, Anna, is that Mitt Romney's negatives amongst Republicans, but also those very same independents that you're talking about, have shot up. So if if President Obama is looking a little bit better amongst Democrats, Mitt Romney's looking worse amongst his own people. For now, I'm sure it'll. We all know this is going to change. Is when the choice becomes binary between Romney and Obama, if indeed that 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 winds up being the choice. Um, but but as President Obama is doing uh, a little bit better amongst his people, Romney seems to be doing worse and worse amongst his people in terms of their positive impression of him. And independents seem to not be liking this campaign either. But but it'll be over, and then when it's a binary choice, we'll see where they land. Well, it's freecountry.org. I want to remind everybody, has great articles, explainers, and opinion pieces, great visuals, maps, all other kinds of uh, graphics. It's a freecountry.org. It's a free country will be all over the conventions and the issues. We'll explain the issues. We'll debate the issues. There's lots of ways for you to interact 
at itsafreecountry.org. And Anasail Todd-Zwillick, thank you guys for season one of It's a Free Country, the podcast. It's been a blast. What a great season finale. Um, (laughs) I, I see it as better than landing on a moon colony. (laughs) <laughs> More fun than firing people who provide services for you. Nine 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 on a scale of ten. <laughs> I'll tell you what it hasn't been. It has not been beanbag, right, guys? That's for sure. That's right. And more thrilling than the commerce department, the education department, and the uh, whatever it is, all rolled into one. We'll Oops. be back. <laughs>